You know, it's the things that Pastor Jeff is talking about, it is, it is humbling that when you will just stop and receive what God wants to do and let him have that influence, and he begins birthing something on the inside of you, it starts removing the striving to get to some place where then you end up walking over people, pushing them down, pushing people out of the way, and it doesn't become a relational experience anymore. It becomes this, this uh, manifest that you have to make something happen. But the amazing thing with a father, and why we talk about it so much, is the father is the first person to accept you or not. I want you to catch that. The father is the first person in a child's life that either accepts you or not. Because in the heart of every single person, there is a cry. There is a, something that's being searched for, which is why our world gets crazy with the things that they're involved in. In a search for identity, in a search for finding this, in a search for a purpose, a value, a group, something to connect to. It all stems from this one question. Do you want me? And God answers that question. And when we talk about the Father, I think it's very important. My wife always reminds me, because I put, the, put it all into the same, but it needs to be very clear. You cannot know the Father, your source of life, your value, without knowing Jesus Christ. He is the person that we relate to, our Savior. And his name means everlasting Father. And he says that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. So when I'm talking about the Father, I'm not removing Jesus because Jesus is the only way that that even happens. But then we cannot ignore the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is that force that animates you, that connects you, that reminds you who you are. It is the voice that when you're out and you're not near a family member or a good friend and you hear their voice in your head like, oh, they wouldn't be doing this. And it begins shaping you. That's the spirit of that person. And that is the force that binds that all together. And why God chose to let me become entangled into that whole system, I don't know, but I'm just happy to receive it. Amen. So with that, we're going to kind of get into what we're going to share this morning. And this idea of responsibility. How many love it? Oh, you're lying. We're going to have to have a different message about that. Well, you know, to be honest, like what were you doing before, lying to me? Responsibility. It doesn't have a good rap. You know, that's why our court systems are filled. I mean, we have a whole industry of legalism to show who's at fault. Because no one wants to take responsibility. But what we love to do is put the responsibility on someone else. We're masters of finding where the responsibility belongs. Right? I'm, I'm speaking to myself so I could probably sit down there and join all of you. So this isn't a point your finger. We're all in this together. I'm just saying... We, we have this idea that somehow it's not my fault. Somehow I've been victimized. Now in one aspect it is true. There is an enemy that hates you. And he has done everything to convince you that you're not what God said that you are. 
But the moment you buy into that idea, you own it. It's your responsibility. See, whatever you believe and receive is yours. See, we want to receive things. We go to the store, right, in America, and you buy something. And if it doesn't work out, you know you have 30 days to go return it. You obviously don't live in Thailand. You better know what you're buying because it's yours once you pay for it. You own it. You could be mad. You could be angry. You could become bitter. But it won't change nothing about the fact that you own that thing that just didn't work out for you. So you're much more careful with the persuasion of marketing because it doesn't matter how good they say it is. I want to see it work. I want to work with it. I want to watch it. I want to touch it. I want to handle it. I want to see how it's made. I want to know what I'm getting. I want to know the way of that thing to know whether it's going to fit me. But once I take it, it's mine. I'm responsible. This is part of the reason that when we talk about Jesus and the need for a savior, and we can look at our life, and I'll tell you, I can tell you stories about young people and people's lives that were ravishly devastated by things that were absolutely out of their control. It's awful. But they can never truly find freedom until they can own what they are in the midst of it. And we're going to get into more, so don't, don't let your brain drift too far. But it's important that this comes because you can't be saved until you recognize you need a savior. You can't have forgiveness until you recognize you need forgiveness. You can't have the grace of God until you recognize that someone stronger than you has the power to offer something to you that you don't deserve. And the moment we believe we deserve something, we've lost the power of change. I live in a country that I have no rights. I, am at, I serve at the pleasure of their kingdom. I'm not a citizen. I can't vote. I can make some, they, they allow some things for me to operate in. But at the end of the day, if they decide to change their policy, we're gone. I can't go to a court system and demand that they renew my visa. I am subject to their mercy. But it doesn't make me a victim. What I own is the fact I'm going to go do what my father said to do. And I'm going to do it in a manner that benefits the person that I'm working with. So I go to serve a group of people that are not my own out of love for them and that is my responsibility. And it is amazing that that spirit of owning that takes us to every place that God has taken us to. But I'm responsible. I'll tell you a quick story. Jason was up with us and it was an awesome time we went to uh, we do a Way of the Father conference um, up in some of the Hill Tribe areas. And we do that because a lot of the kids that are coming out of those areas will come into the city with no family and no support. And they come with the idea that it's their responsibility to care for their family. And it is. 
But the problem is the shame of not caring for the family leads them to do other things because there's no greater shame than to not send money back home. So that can leave you with where all that goes. That's the culture. This lady, we were up at the conference and afterwards we were, we, did, we had a time for healing for them to come down and we were praying with them and just showing them what the heart of the father was and the whole message was around that line. And this woman was coming down and there were some people up and we started praying and this woman got up and she barely could make it down and she caught the corner of my eye as she was coming down the aisle. You remember what I'm talking about. And she got to the, just about to the edge of the, the wooden seats and she collapsed and hit her head on the, the bench. That'll disrupt the service, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, and she wasn't under the power of the Spirit during this. She literally passed out on the floor. So they, we got her back up, sat her in the seat, but we just went on because it was my responsibility to introduce the Father. And so as we prayed, we asked what she wanted us to pray for. And she said, I, I can't, I've had pain in my legs and I can't walk and I've had it for years. She, she wasn't a very old lady. Um, she was in her upper 20s, low 30s. Call that an old lady, wow. What does that make me? Well, you know, I'm 32, so. But to be honest, I feel a whole lot younger inside, right? All right, so. Anyway, so she's up there, and, and we begin, we, we ask her what she wants. And what she's coming up for is she wants relief from the pain. She wants relief from the inability to walk. But God wanted something more for her, because when we prayed for her, the pain was still there, she, nothing changed. And I'm really good, because you know, God's not in a rush with us. He's not on our time frame. And when we start accepting the responsibility that I am with the Father, then we can slow down and I'm not pressured by the opinions of people and what they want. I'm not talking about being irresponsible because you want to go see a movie and you have made a commitment to something. That's irresponsible. I'm talking about you're flowing with the Father and everybody else is trying to press you into something that's not in your heart and they're pressuring you. That's what I'm referring to is the pressure. Not commitments you've made, obligations where other people are waiting for you. You do those things and you start owning responsibility and you start seeing a life of freedom. That's a separate conversation. But to my point, I didn't want to be pressured, so we sat down and we just started talking to the woman. And I realized what she wanted wasn't the pain to go away, even though she did. She wanted relief, right? That's pretty much what we all search for in, in, in our world is some kind of relief. Just give me relief. We don't want deliverance. We just want relief. So we go to the spiritual pharmaceutical company that can prescribe us something to make it easier so I could do what I want to do on behalf of what you're giving me and that way I can live this fulfilled life. But you're still a slave. You just don't feel it. Until it wears off. Oh, and then you feel it on a whole different level. It's not just drugs. We do this spiritually, we do this in every area of our life because we won't own the responsibility of what God said we are. 
So we keep allowing what everything else is around us to define us and to label us and to pressure us and to conform us. And we need to do it this way. We need to do it that way. But what about God's way? But we don't even know what that way is. I asked the woman, I said, you have been without a father. Man, God loves you. You haven't been abandoned. And I just began ministering to her what the father thought of her, what Jesus came to do for her, who she is to him. And you could see a light bulb going off in her eyes. Jason, right? Yes? This, like a light went off, but the pain didn't go away. Oh, but something else happened. She leaves. We get back to the host family that we we're staying with. And the, the, lady, the, the lady of the house came and she said, yeah, we heard that little girl running down the street. My mom's healed. My mom's healed. My mom's healed. This little girl is spreading it through the, the little community. She went away completely healed because she got deliverance and not free relief. But there's some concepts that needed to be built in. First of all, God was not distant. God was not, the, if I do this, then he'll do that. If I do this, he'll do that. It's this relationship. It is this connection. It is, I want to. We had another young man in our program. He was in the probation department. We had built a relationship with him. We had worked with him for a couple years. And we did a challenge, and we found that the guys in our program, we asked them, what do you want different? They said, make it harder. Isn't that an interesting question? You see, when you finally start getting restored and there's this sense of confidence, you don't want to sit there any longer. Let's do something. They wanted to own something. They wanted to do it. So we created a challenge where we invite three of them, and we had a very hard challenge that they had to go through for five weeks. And at the end, there would be a prize. But they didn't know what the prize was, and they didn't know what the challenge was. So they would sign up, and then we'd have to draw names out of the hat who got to do the three-week challenge. I don't know about you. Do you ever sign up for stuff like that? I hate even giving out my email because I know what it means. The spam bombardment. I don't need more of that. You're not wanting to give me something. You're wanting to infest your, your email into my box. This young old man... At the end of this time, he ran 50K, did 1,500 push-ups, read two books, read two reports, and he had to go and help someone else go start and do the same thing. Had I told him what he was going to be doing, he said he wouldn't have done it. But we didn't put it in a way that it was this burden. He trusts us, and he wanted something more, and I wanted something for him. It didn't mean anything to me whether he did it or not. It didn't make me feel better. It didn't make me pat myself on the back. I just saw something in him. I wanted to pull him out. But he had to start owning something because he was in the mess that he was because it was not his fault. So we started with ownership. And we used the concept that's been around, but it really works. I have no control over my life. I can't do anything. Everything's out of my control. Make your bed. Oh, come on, what do you tell me? I have to go do something? No, this isn't about 
anybody doing something for you. This is about you finally getting time that you are in control. It puts you into a place of power and responsibility. And then once you start doing that, it benefits the other, and it starts snowballing. See, you can't give what you don't have. You can't offer honor to someone else if you don't feel honored. So if you begin letting God honor you and build you up with him, now all of a sudden there's this free flow. Many of you are stuck with wanting to give forgiveness in the things you talked about this morning because you've never learned to receive it. Because someone owed it to you. I'm not preaching, I'm passionate, but I'm not pointing the finger here. We believe someone owes it to us. So then when you get it, it's like, well, it's mine. But what if they don't owe it to you? What if everything in your life was, man, I'm just gonna be grateful for what I have? Where does your generosity go then? Where do your thoughts go then? You know what I'm talking about. Because none of this is hard for you, is it? Well, sometimes. But it's... So this young man gets done. He ends up winning, and we give him a new pair of shoes. And the reason we give him a new pair of shoes is because when the prodigal son came home, the father gave him a ring, and he gave him his robe, and he gave him a new pair of sandals. Because every time he looks down, he'll be reminded that he's been lifted up, and he doesn't have to go back down again. So they get a new pair of shoes. So I had him come up. Now these guys don't know anybody in their probation group and Thai people are not big on doing any communication outside of group think. But he came up and I said, tell us what happened. He said, I did this program. And I challenged and I started running and I realized I could do it and I had never run before. I never exercised before. I really never did anything before. He said, but what happened is I quit smoking. And I said, well, what caused that? That wasn't the prerequisite. He said, because it's hard to run when you smoke. <laughs> well, what are, you, are you still running? He goes, yeah, I run 6K every other day. I go, what brought you to that point? He goes, I love it. I discovered there's more in me. You see, once responsibility of owning the place that you are in right there, Stop looking at whose fault it is. Who did this? Who did what? Why did they do that? Why did they overlook me? Why did this happen? All those are real feelings. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. But when we can come to the point, say, I'm going to own what I can own and let them own their own problem. You can do something that can begin that journey and a snowball effect begins to take place. That's in the natural and it's also in the spiritual. That woman, when she walked away, she owned her salvation. She owned her relationship. You see, when you receive Jesus and you get and you're saved and you're born again, I don't have to keep asking God if he'll send it to me. I have to take ownership. I am saved and I can walk in this thing. But I don't do it alone. See, responsibility means to respond to. So it's not some self-proclaimed my idea, I'm going to make this happen. It comes from the idea that I am responding to what you've given it to me, and now I'm owning it. I'm going to read this verse to you in Romans 8, 12 through 16. I gave you a lot of verses, so on your notes, it's very important. There's three areas that we discuss. What the enemy views of you. How, how God views you. How the enemy views you. But why we view ourselves as victims. And I want you to go through those scriptures and begin studying. And when you see God's heart towards you 
and how passionate he was for you and how he pursued you. He's the first person that brought up the question, where are you? We've been asking the question, do you want me? And God's first question, he's the first person to ever ask a question. Adam, where are you? He's been the pursuer. Romans 8, 12 through 16 says, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? This is the message translation. I want you to listen to this. Don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself victimized, I'm responsible, I'll make it on my own, somehow I'm gonna get through, and we allow the malice and all that stuff to have our root in us, and we can let it die. You don't owe it anything. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. Some of you guys should be apostles. You've erased your old dead man so many times. Let it have a good burial. God's spirit is working in you, beckoning it. There are things to do and places to go. I love that. There are things to do and places to go. So why are we letting that old victimized slave mentality have so much root in us? My wife had to remind me of this yesterday. She goes, that's not your mind. Oh, it sure feels like it, and I don't want to hear from you right now. It took me a little while to kind of absorb that whole thought. But I've been given a new mind. Why don't I own the mind of Christ? I own my salvation. I own it. I'm saved. I don't have to keep asking God for it because he gave it to me. But it's not mine alone. It's because he's with me. If he's provided healing, whatever the thing is that he's provided for, the moment we own it, and we take responsibility for what we own. It works with God and things begin to happen. This resurrection life you've received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? That's the life. But it's not based in relief, it's based in freedom. Got two minutes. But I'm going to be responsible for those two minutes. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. Relief, restoration. He does bring relief. Don't get caught up in the fact, oh, God's going to have to make me go through the hard thing. He may, but your soul will be ready for it. But he restores your soul. He brings peace to your soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. In other words, and that word lead is to walk alongside and observe. And so what he's showing me, this is who I am. This is who I am. And this is who you are to me. And this is who you are to me. And I've given you my name. So everything that I am, you are. For my name's sake. So I'm going to show you all these things. I'm not going to Google map it where you just mindlessly hit navigate. And you just, you don't even know what's going on except the map on the screen. 
He shows you how to do it. He walks with you. He shows you those things. He shows you who you are. But then he takes you back to the thing that hurts you in the first place. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, it's not that God doesn't go with me anymore. Is we want God to do it all. But God doesn't want you to do it, and he doesn't want him to have to do it. He wants to do it with you. And this is really powerful. You have to catch this. He wants to do it with you. If you choose not to step, he won't make you. And he still loves you. But if you let him inspire you, you'll find yourself stepping and you'll find him right there. Because it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that place that provoked fear, anxiety, stress. And you're wondering, why are we back here? Because I prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemy and it's on the other side of it. And the enemy didn't want you to see what was on the other side of your life, what was on the other side of that darkness. So we ran looking for relief and so we spend so much time at the little cool brook that we're kind of getting stressed and annoyed then we look for new things to bring us there. But if we'll let the Father take us and he brings us back to that place, it says, surely your goodness and your mercy follow me. Your rod and your staff are there comforting me. See, you realize you're not in it alone. And all of a sudden, responsibility takes place. And now I'm owning my decisions walking through this. Because just remember this, a shadow of a dog never bit anyone. And he begins walking. And you begin going. And all of a sudden, he's empowering you in his name. And you don't know, is it God doing it? Is it am I doing it? Or wait a second, I'm entangled in him. And it's just what, both of us, we're just going. And I'm thinking the way he thinks, and he's thinking the way I'm thinking. And I'm not having to go say, God, where are you? Because you just know he's right there with you. But I want you to notice where he places your best, the best place for your life on this planet. It's in the presence of your enemies. The enemy is always camped in your promise. Why? Because he's keeping the land fresh for you. He's keeping the land fresh for you. All the mess that he's causing, he's just freshening it so when you step in there, it's well fertilized, ready to go. A cup that's running over. It's running over. That's what a father does. See, when God came and he saw you, he pursued you. He wanted you. He desired you. He put into motion everything that would bring you into the place where you could see who you are and who you are to him. And he wants you to embrace that. And the world around you is not going to embrace that because they want you to conform onto their path of the map that they've set in their navigation system. They want you to take their way, this way, and you don't even look and know what's around you. But we always take our guys and they have to learn how to use a compass and a map. Why? Because they need to figure out that life has natural things and there's a way to see and you need to be in it and you need to experience it and you need to know these things. Because then you have the confidence when life turns upside down, which I promise it will, and it will again, and it will again, and it will again, but you don't have to turn with it because I'm with my father. And I don't care what comes. My brain does sometimes, my old man, 
But in my heart, when I let it rise, bring it on. That's tonight. We're going to talk about bring it on. But I want to leave you with that this morning with the question. The question has been, do you want me? And the question is an emphatic, adamant, for centuries and generations and millennia. Absolutely. And Colossians 1.13 says this for you. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and without reproach in his sight. That is what he did for you because he is passionate about you.